Welcome to the MBUK podcast. In this series, we'll be looking back through some of the moments that helped shape the sport of mountain biking. From the pioneers that paved the way, bikes that broke the tech boundaries, and the events that pushed the very limits of the sport, to the racers who will be forever cemented in our memories for their antics on and off the track. We'll even do our best to predict how things will look in the future. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your mates. And if you have time, please give us a review. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the MBUK podcast. As always, I'm joined by the most knowledgeable man in mountain biking, Tom Marvin. Wow, Mike. no one's ever caught me that. <laughs> well, today that's what you'll have to be. <laughs> and also John Oldale, the global marketing director of Marin Bikes. Is that right, John? Starting to panic. Uh, I think so. Yeah, Good. something, something. Uh, maybe not global, but yeah, definitely something. Some hell of, of a business card. If yeah, we still had yeah, business cards, that would be a hell of a business. Don't have business card. But I do make good cups of tea in the office. There you so. go. Well, actually, that's self self proclaimed. So I don't know. Maybe I don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm gasping here. So if you want to go and make us a quick cup, <laughs> well, he's the boss. So they're all like, "It's a great cup of tea." Thanks, thanks, John. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks, John. There's no water in it. But yeah, sure. <laughs> Should we tell him? You <laughs> want to get fired? Anyway, right. So today we are here to talk about not just tea, but also the the bike designs that we think spurred on the rise of the trail bike, which has now become the trail bike, the, I guess, down country bike, if that's such a thing. Yeah, enduro the enduro bike. bike. All of those things kind of were bred from, hopefully, some of these. Again, we always just need to say that this is just our opinion and, <laughs> and the bikes that we think made a difference. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there will, that will disagree, if which is totally fine. Email Costly White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, email, email the editor. Don't email, email James, the editor of MUK, who will who will take his time to reply to you, and I'm sure you get a very very well reasoned response. Let, um, let me let me help you guys out with some marketing uh, nonsense. Talk about it in the comments below because oh, that will nice. that'll make the engagement happen, which will mean that the video gets seen by more people. There we there go. You, go. There we, you know your you stuff. You should be like some like global business development manager, marketing <laughs> man, and tea maker. Tea maker. Yeah. maker. Excellent. Right, Tom. Do you want to kick us off? What do you reckon? What do you think we could say is one of the bikes that sort of was the catalyst behind the modern day trail bike? Well, we're going to do this kind of chronologically, aren't we? So let's go for it. Um, let's start with the Cannondale Raven, a bike that's been mentioned a couple of times. Um, a really interesting bike that sort of took suspension platforms that were inspired at least by Cannondale's downhill bikes, so the longer travel ones. And, you know, they sort of, there was definitely in 97, you know, the late night is recognition that cross country and, and trail riding and, and downhill, you know, risk suspension is a good thing. I think we've all accepted this by this point. Um, and we don't need to make bikes that are basically glorified road bikes um, for, for riding all day long. So the Raven was, uh, it had, uh, is like a, a skeletal design. What was it um, made out of that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> as we sort of found out in a previous episode of the MBK podcast, it had uh, an internal alloy structure that John was going to point out wasn't aluminium, but was magnesium, which I then pointed out was also an alloy. Yeah. Um, so it had an alloy, uh, magnesium alloy skeleton. Thank inside. God I'm sat in the middle. <laughs> so <there's, laughs> there was no punches here. So yeah, you've got um, uh, a rigid internal structure that gave sort of vertical stiffness and then uh, it was shrouded in a carbon skin to sort of give it lateral and and sort of anti-twisting um 
structure. So yeah, it sort of it kind of was a lightweight, full suspension bike designed for riding all day, which pulled in elements of cross-country, long-distance sort of efficiency with downhill performance. Do you reckon the fear back then was adding rear suspension makes bikes heavier, therefore people don't want to ride them as as much as a hardtail, maybe? Yeah, I guess that's sort of the the general feeling at, at the time, maybe, was that what what do you compromise on? Because, you know, I think the thing about trail bikes is that they are always going to be a trail, a compromise. And even these days, there's there's compromise all the way. All the way. So I guess those discussions were just starting to be had um, and mm. kind of we're moving away from a world where you either race downhill and you race cross-country at the same, you know, like yeah. back then you sort of did everything, right, on just one bike. Drop your seat post. Yeah, so also I think this is, there's quite a bit of history around that bike because, and it, well, I said it in the last podcast, but this might need fact-checking, but I think the entire product line got recalled because of the uh, magnesium alloy, Tom. Uh, <laughs> exoskeleton and the way the carbon like kind of bonded to it meant that something was failing. And so the, 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 they all got recalled. And I want to say the solution was to like pump them full of foam or yes. something. Yeah, there was something was about that, that I read. Yeah, maybe right. Um, so yeah, quite, quite an interesting little tidbit mm. on that bike. Wow. I think it may or may not be true. <laughs> <laughs> Good get out. Excellent. It was a sort of designer say it was borrowed from the downhill bike, but they, they I guess, again, recognised that if you aren't going to be like riding downhill, um, you need to sort of shave a bit of weight. And I think they saved about 590 grams um, on it. So like it was a, a capable bike that was also a bit lighter, which I guess is the whole point of a trail bike. With a really interesting structure, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I... This may be because I'm a bit of a bit of a grot bag, like a bit of a scruffy disaster of a human. But <laughs> I think that bike like had no appeal to me personally. It mm. was almost like it was too. It was like it was the 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 first kind of dentist bike for lack too of a Gucci. better word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it okay. just I I it was kind of like no interest to me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's you know sort of personal taste. What about the orange sub five? which came out, I believe, around 1999, I think. Another one for the fact checks, but sure. Um, maybe a bit more industrial in terms of design in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Sim- simpler. Yeah, yeah. it had like that kind of that classic orange silhouette to it, didn't it? with the, sort of the monocoque down tube and mm-hmm. then the big old swing arm. Mm. Really expensive as well. And it, it, like at that time, I, I worked in a bike shop, and I remember it was the sort of thing people would come in and you had to buy it buy it by the frame and then kind of spec it up yes so whenever right. you had someone come in on a saturday morning they wanted to buy one of those you're like oh this is gonna be cool <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah yeah nice and then that that gave birth to the five patriot seven is it patriot seven plus i think so yeah yeah 222 223 there was a mr o in there oh, as mr. well o, of course yeah. yes yeah mr big there's no, a few Mr. 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 Big. Oh, that Mr. Was, Big. There was Tony Mr. Mr. I mean, that's your favourite band, isn't it? <laughs> no, do you remember the Mr. Big, the downhill bike that Steve Barker rode? The Geordie family. Oh, yes. The URT. Yes. We were talking like about the, the, the old the motocross. Garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the motocross yes, bike do, that yeah. pedaled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about that on another episode because mm. I have very fond memories of, of Steve Barker and uh, John Robson racing yeah. those bikes back in the day. I guess the thing about the Sub 5 was that it sort of introduced orange to the world a little bit obviously they've been around with the clockwork and stuff but in terms of their full suspension bikes like it was kind of iconic it kind of gave orange that shape they've gone from sort of rounded more sort of triangular frames to creating those big 
box section. I mean, you can tubes. if you see an orange now, it obviously you know that those bikes have evolved vastly over the years and they've had various different iterations and different ideas. But that sort of that aesthetic and that silhouette has stuck with them, right? stuck yeah. with them. Yeah. and it's very noticeably orange. And again, I, I guess John, you probably know more about it this than I do, but as in terms of um, bikes that push the trail riding on why is it do you think that a bike like the sub five um would make a list like this i think i think it seems that the 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 original guys at orange they they were obviously riding places in is halifax in yorkshire mm. know, it's north of the m4 somewhere um, <laughs> and they were riding stuff and, and i guess at that time a lot of the bikes were being developed and designed in california for californian trails and, mm -hmm. and whatnot so so they needed something different and you know and a lot of those things are things that we still need today you still you know mud clearance and perhaps rockier bridleways and whatnot like you get up in yorkshire so yeah, so I think they kind of brought what they needed in a bike, and then it turned out that everybody else also needed those in a bike in the UK. So, so that's why you know a lot of these British brands, they they were significantly different to the to the US brands. Because I guess part of the appeal was single pivot, so relatively yeah. low maintenance, yeah. but you still get some of the comfort through the full suspension design, plenty of mud clearance, relatively robust design. You would yeah. hope. Yeah. So, I guess that sort of takes us on to another design which was built with a lot of the same things in mind uh, a bike called the cotic soul which came out around 2002 i believe yeah what do you know about that tom this is like a you know cotic or another one of those north of the m4 brands um, <laughs> <laughs> so a proper peak district proper sort of like british mountain biking bikes you know a brand that's always built bikes that are kind of almost specific to where they ride. They're very yeah. influenced by Peak District riding. So rocky, chunky, technical riding, not always sort of super flat out, flat out and fast. You know, there's always a thing about, you know, the the BB heights, something that we've talked about with those bikes for a long time because technical climbs require slightly higher BBs and all that sort of jazz. So very of their place and very of their sort of design and, and you know, inside the guy behind them is, they're very uniquely his. Yeah. And, I've always like really impressed, but the soul was, I guess, it was a, a proper hardtail. hardcore hardtail. Mm. Wasn't it was it? a proper hardcore hardtail for riding techie terrain, which you know is a bike that was going to be strong, going to be reliable. wasn't sort of focused on saving weight. Yeah, it wasn't a spindly cross country. No, exactly. Wasn't yeah, it? it was a a tough steel. Yeah, but still a bike that I, I guess had that sort of magic compliance that you know yeah. it's not like some horrible harsh you know you sort of get bikes like you know evils sovereigns and, and things like that which are like big strong bulky bikes for you know nailing the most technical terrain but they were big bulky bikes this still had a bit of finesse about it yeah and bizarrely also a bike that you could kind of just commute to work on as well like yeah i remember that being at the time i worked in a shop and it was definitely a bike that people had it was like their one bike they could just do everything on mm. So, yeah, Which really... is the essence of a trail bike, right? Yeah. It's a bike that can exactly. do everything and it should be happy doing everything. Yeah, exactly. And and obviously, off the back of that, Sai's gone on to build some incredible bikes, the mm. Rocket Max, Flare Max, Jet, all of those. And, and there's still that sort of overriding element from that original soul that remains. Yeah. You know, when they, every now and again, they'll, you know, do reruns of, of models from, from the past and... Mm. They're, they're always bikes that are going to sell out quickly. They're always bikes that are going to be in high demand and people really want. 
Exactly, exactly. And um, I guess that brings us nicely onto, I mean, it was a bike that I really desperately wanted to own, <laughs> the Specialized SX Trail. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the Enduro had already been around from, I think, 99 and this, but this was a bit different, right, John? Yeah, this this was a little bit more aggressive, kind of chunkier tubes. It wasn't, I suppose, you you could run it with with your saddle all the way up, but it was probably designed more as like a, a short travel downhill bike. Yeah, and yeah, really, really fun, fun bike, which then morphed into there was a there was a four cross version of it as well. Yep, which was super cool. Oh, it was incredible. Um, and and I think that's actually maybe an interesting point around the trail bike thing. Over in the US, there was that whole four cross dual slalom movement that was glorified through Sea Otter, and you know it just mm. was like, oh my god, how cool! Basically, yeah. motocross coolness. Well, they call it m- mountain cross, right? Did, yeah, maybe. For, yeah. Do you remember for a while? I think it was in the pages of maybe Dirt and Grip at the time. Okay, yeah, where they had the big four up races yeah, with all yeah. the they, big downhill names they did like, one at Glen helen for a that's while, right yeah, yeah like bashing bars huge jumps and they were all riding either like pre- paired back downhill rigs yeah. or these specific short travel yeah these like short travel at which i think today probably would be a trail bike yeah but exactly i remember one of those bikes sorry to uh, go away from the sx trail for a second but no, the, no, it's fine. the turner rail Oh, that's a good shout i don't know if you ever rode one of those so but it was on my list of bikes i always wanted to own Right, okay. Yeah, one of the coolest short travel bikes yeah, out there yeah. at the time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And there was that whole movement which kind of came the specialised SX4 cross. Yeah. And then that kind of kind of came over here and that's when, for me anyway, that's when I started putting longer seat posts on these bikes to go out and go for a cross-country ride. Exactly. Mm. We actually did a feature for MBUK in 2005 with one of those bikes. The premise was... Uh, which is better to go up Ben Nevis with? So I was there. We were there at the uh, World Cup at Fort William, and Tim Manley gave me a call saying, "Are you free on? I can't remember what day it was. Do you want to do this feature?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." Steve Bear told me, "Don't worry, you only need to go halfway up, and we'll just fake all the pictures." <laughs> there was a lad on a demo, specialized demo. Right. There was a lad who was from the forum. Okay. On an SX trail, which I was like, oh man, I wish I could ride that. And I borrowed Neil Donahue's jump bike, <laughs> which had slick tires. <laughs> and what was Semi-sick the answer? Time. Was it the jump bike? So it turns out there's a lot of carrying going yeah. on at Ben Nevis. And and the lad that was on the forum, I mean, this is going back a long time. No one had vetted anyone's riding ability. And the lad, <laughs> the lad, I just remember him going off. I mean, it was so cold at the top. We left Steve at halfway. We did have to go to the top. I, and I mean, I literally had nothing with me apart from a, a pack of sandwiches in my pocket and a coat. <laughs> um, get up to the top, take a photo. Like we took a selfie up there just to prove we'd been there. The lad on the downhill bike was really tired because the bike weighed about as much as a car. Um, he'd lugged it all the way up. I was fine. I'd carried a little bike and my sandwiches. The kid, the, the guy on the SX trail was so excited. I just watched him sprinting off at the start. And it, I don't know if you've been up there now, it's pretty rocky. Mm-hmm. And then we just heard this blood curdling scream <laughs> as he just cartwheeled <laughs> off to the side. And he then nursed it down. And I think it, it took him like four hours to oh, get God. down or something oh. like that. <laughs> yeah. But it's it, that never uh, that never took away the shine of those bikes for me. I always 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 wanted one. Mm. I guess with the you know we just talked about the Coyote Soul and now we've gone on to the SX Trail, which 
in terms of sort of that whole trail bike thing, probably do represent the two extremes of what trail bikes are. You know, like the Cotic Soul, yeah. you know, a hardtail, not super heavy, but not super spindly. Mm. And then the SX Trail, which, you know, I looked at photos of the other day, kind of looks like it's a big old bike. Yeah, Some super them, yeah. industrial looking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Burly little thing, mm. really. Um, and yeah, properly built to last. And then I guess coming on from that as things evolve, then you had bikes like the Giant Trance. Yeah. If you speak to Al Evans, one of our colleagues, one of his fondest memories of owning a bike, it is his 2005 Giant Trance, which he named Trancey. Nice. Um, and he took, you know, he he changed the tires, made it burlier, but he must have ridden the living shit out of that yeah, bike yeah, yeah. for years on end. As, as the person who was... Um... You working helped. on Al yeah, Evans' sure bike in 2005. <laughs> I, I have a slightly different take on that. <laughs> Poor old Chauncey. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, no, I can see what he's getting at there. But yeah. it was a cool bike. Came out in 2004. Used It was one of the first to use the Maestro yeah. link, yeah, I, I believe. So yeah. so yeah, that virtual pivot twin link system. Didn't have tons of travel. I think it was around the four inch mile. Four inches, yeah. Um, well, but that's about 100 mil in modern yeah. speak, right? Yeah, 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 around 100 mil. But it was, it, it felt... I had one, I think I had one around 2005. And for me, it was the start of like, you can properly, you know, if you put a short stem on, wider bars, you can really ride these things. Yeah, because it wasn't hard. like a 100 mil XC bike, you know, which yeah, short and steep. It was effectively a proper shape for back then. Yeah, for back yeah. then, definitely. Like it had pretty low standover as well. Mm. Yeah. And then going back to the kind of the whole cool four cross look it was a bike yeah, that yeah, yeah. the giant riders were building into four cross you know with, with the mrp or whatever it, e13 on the front yeah. and then the small road cassette on the back you know which for me that was that was what was cool back then yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Bikes. yeah because i guess i mean al and i talked about this a while ago there was a point where you kind of had a downhill bike and then if you were lucky enough you had a hardtail that did everything else dirt jumps you had a long enough seat post that you could ride cross country or just trails as kind of, you know, it was just trail riding, right? It was just mountain biking. Yeah, yeah. You did everything else on the hardtail. And then this new breed of bikes was like, well, we can kind of get a bit more grip, a bit more comfort. You can ride them a bit harder. Mm. And it just made it all a bit more fun. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of fun, Tom. What about Santa Cruz Blur Four Cross? Well, again, it comes back to that discussion about trail bike or like bikes that were sort of shortened in travel made a little bit more rad for four cross riding but kind of turns out that's quite good for trail riding right yeah i mean i remember when doddy was on the mag he had one mm. and raved about it and then rick i think rick had rick one McLaughlin for sure yeah bought one i'm pretty sure he had one for work and then i'm pretty sure he bought one yeah. because he he loved it and again it was a bike that it was a bit longer than most of the others out there so for those guys who are properly adult size like yourself john like you tom um actually had a bike that fit yeah. which was kind of nice i guess the thing with with the blur you know with the four cross it was designed for you know those snappy starts out of the gate you know the suspension was designed to pedal well which again probably works quite well on like trail riding you know it's yeah. gonna you'll get you to the trails without feeling like you're dragging an anchor along and you know if you're on more meandering trails you know through the trees you know there's little accelerations out of corner it's going to feel snap it's going to feel vibrant it's going to feel quite fun to ride as opposed to a bit of a slugger yep. so you know probably worked you know really nice on that sort of stuff i think with some of these bikes specifically the uh the 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 
Triumphs and the, the Santa Cruz. This was also about the same time that the Fox 36 was coming to light. Mm, yes, because that was on the SX trail, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. And that was obviously a fork which, you know, if you knew what you're doing, you could change the travel down to 100, 120 mil, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to whatever it was, 150 that came yeah. stock with. But I think that's a really important thing because that obviously meant, you know, the back end with these frames was working well and then the, the front end was able to be that little bit stiffer and work that little bit better as well. That was the sticking point, I guess, to a degree, was the components mm. weren't maybe keeping up with what the frames were doing, yeah, potentially. Yeah, I think that's mm. a fair point. Yeah. What what components along with the 36 would you say are sort of of that ilk, you know? It was kind of the... the uh, the the chain guide period wasn't it? Mm. So it was oh, on everything. Yeah. So oh. MRP had kind of been and gone, and then E13 they had that big chunky. Was it the LG one LG or something? One yeah, with the, the big one. chunky bash plate. Mm -hmm. And then from there it was kind of it really took off. They started making the lighter weight ones, and well, they did the dual one as well, so you could run a dual ring. Oh yes, Do you remember yes. that? So mm. they didn't yeah. have a guide on the top, mm. so you still had your front derailleur on the top, and then, <clears throat> and then it had a sliding yeah. roller at the bottom. Yeah. There's step rollers along the way as well at points. Yeah, some of them did step rollers that would as you shifted would shift up. Yeah, and I think that's that, that's quite a good point as well, isn't it? Because these bikes they weren't really one by unless you had it set for four cross. So a lot of people were running the granny gear and the the mid the mid chain ring as well. So you know yeah. you were twenty two thirty two. Yeah, yeah. It also meant as well, I guess, um, as a frame designer, you're limited because you still have to. In at least consider people are going to want to run a front mm, radio. Yeah. So pivots were probably narrower. Clearances had to be taken into account, chain lines, et cetera, et cetera. So things still hadn't quite got there or to the point we are today. Um, one bike that I remember um, standing out as looking pretty unusual back then and having a reasonable amount of travel mm. around 2005 was the white 46. So it was called the 46 because it was either four or six inches of travel. And they used the inverted Maverick fork. Was it the DUC? <clears throat> I don't remember. If yeah, I don't remember what it was called. But it was done by Paul Turner of yeah. RockShox Rock fame. fame. Yeah. yeah. Um, it that was, stood out to me. Like, again, that was sort of in my early era of mountain bike. I started buying MBUK, I guess, in 2001 2002 so by 2005 i sort of probably felt like i had a bit of a, a grounding mm. in origin you know that bike stood out as being pretty at least aesthetically dominant and those forks you know they were pretty unique looking you know i think um obviously specialized had done their own dual crown trail-ish fork yeah um but these were you know like very different looking they came on that um trek 69 single speed as well didn't they yeah uh, yeah like the, that was like a was mullet or mixed wheel yeah, size it's a mixed wheel size in a kind of like bronzy yeah that was yeah. a real cool bike i yeah. loved that but first sort of came on that white 46 mm, yeah it was an unusual looking bike and i from what i re remember they sold quite a lot of them mm. they were quite pricey but i was surprised how many yeah they yeah. managed to shift which is pretty cool then I guess we sort of come forward to to bikes like Trek's Remedy in around about 2008. Tom, why do you reckon that needs to be included here? Um, you know, like a proper, you know, Trek are a massive bike brand. They fully embraced, you know, the do-it-all bike that kind of needed to pedal well, but also descend well. They kind of got what a trail bike in its most modern form really needed to be. And it's a, it's a line that's, or heritage that has now, you know, has continued all the way through to now. And okay, now the remedy is, is a bigger bike, mm. but it kind of signaled the 
sort of acceptance that trail bikes were a like a genre of their own sort of thing and they needed to do everything outside of cross country outside of enduro they were a thing to sort of get behind from a, a global brand perspective and was it the remedy that was the the bike that went to 29 is that what tracy raced in the first enduro world series i think so i think so i don't, I don't remember she was when, an early adopter wasn't she yeah she was and i remember that being the like the bike to have at those first ews races because i guess she had the choice of that or the slash if the Ooh, slash was around i would assume sure. whatever whatever the smaller wheel bigger travel version was mm -hmm. i think she then opted to take the 29er which had yeah, less I travel right there yeah stuck a bigger fork on but then tracy was sort of proper of that you know like you you kind of expect that from me you know she was racing in xc shoes because you know enduro back then included massive pedaling stages and a lot of you had to put a lot of effort so you needed a bike that pedal one she sort of she ran a double chain ring with di2 yeah exactly yeah. in order to get the most efficiency out of it and and relied on you know was using it to aid her fitness which is why she was so dominant i guess and, and i suppose in tandem with that you had bikes like Specialized Enduro, which we've already mentioned, has been around since 99. But that really started to grow, I suppose, in appeal. Yeah. It took it took a slightly slightly different route, though, didn't it? From the kind of the Enduro and the SX that we were talking about earlier with that yes. industrial look. It went to kind of more of sort of curved top tubes mm. and like a bit of a quite aesthetically pleasing rocker link i think yeah from memory and then, and then that's when they started using their own in-house suspension as well wasn't it mm, the yeah. future shocks yeah and then yeah later that frame sort of morphed to that what do they call it like the x-wing design around 2010 oh, right yeah that almost With a little the, strut yeah the one that they sort of that stuck around for probably up until 2019 in fact yeah 2019 they had this the change to they changed to what you wrote. Yeah, yeah, with the little strut, with the, the stumpy Evo at the time. Yeah. And that Endura sort of followed the same form, didn't it? Before it went down to that sort of demo-esque look. Yes, that's right. That's right. And then and then round that round that sort of like early 2000, I'm trying to think, maybe 2000, around 2008, maybe, I went on a Lapierre launch and we were riding, what were we riding? Spicy. I think mm -hmm. they read the spicy. I read a spicy with a Hammerschmidt in Morsey. Oh, Hammerschmidt. Yeah, Hammerschmidt. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah, I rode a spicy with Hammerschmidt. And, and you know, that was, I'm pretty sure that would have had a rock shot, maybe a domain on the front. Okay, yeah. So a long travel, fairly burly, stiff fork. Mm. And it was the first time I'd been out to the Alps and not ridden a jaw crown fork, thinking, well, this is going to be okay. a waste yeah. of time. Yeah, yeah. And ended up having an amazing time yeah all your bar spins did all my bar spins all my tail whips <laughs> nailed it <laughs> no. but i think to me you know that really opened my eyes to okay you know they had and again the french were big into the enduro scene yeah so lapierre were you know rooted in that and were very sort of behind what the re you know what was happening with the racing and mm -hmm. uh, at that point i guess nico was probably already working for them mm, i think so yeah and pushing those sort of um burly trail bikes Mm -hmm. uh, because I guess we hadn't really all called them enduro bikes at that point. But I rode, I rode, I think I rode a Zesty with an air shock and then I rode a Spicy with a coil shock and a coil fork on the front mm -hmm. and was blown away by what I could do with it. Yeah. And the fact it was lighter than the downhill bike, the fact I could, you know, those big Alpine days when you're riding out from Leger, Morzine over into Morgian, you know, Switzerland and back. And, and you're not, 
limited by the mm. fact you're on a downhill bike. You had it opens more doors and it's it's that bit more versatile and capable. Were the zesty and spicy developed together in that case? Then was that sort of in tandem with the lighter and the longer travel? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, they shared a lot of similarities. Mm. I think it was you know largely just uh, for the most part the angles and the, the yeah the travel that sort of differentiated them, but. Very cool bikes. Mm. Later on, they when the more modern versions of those, are those the one of the first bikes I certainly came across where they use the same moulds and the same frames and the same front and rear triangles, just with different linkages and shock strokes to give the, the two different mm. bikes, which I guess doesn't really tie into anything, but interesting <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> they were they were one of the first brands to try out um, electronic damping, weren't they? Mm. They used God what AI. Was it? Uh, e yeah, AI. No, EI. EI maybe. EI, I think they called it. I don't it. remember that. They Do had like that? a sensor on the fork, which it didn't do anything to the fork. No, it didn't do right. anything to the fork. But then, like, would wire to the rear shock to be like, oh, oh right. by the way, there's a bump coming. All oh, right, okay. Did Hello. They have an cadence sensor maybe as well, because then yeah. it could tell whether you were pedaling yes, or not. Yes, it would. Yeah, so it'd lock out. Right, I don't remember that at all. So just affect the back, which was compared to now with live valve and flight yeah. attendant felt kind of funky. Yeah, yeah. But you know, smart, yeah. very much like a. Uh, you can tell Nico's behind it, right? Yeah, pushing. Yeah. I need more efficiency. Yeah, I need it for racing. There. That must have been what eight, nine years ago. Maybe more. Maybe more. What, what year is it now? Twenty twenty-three. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah. But to go back to um, another thing you brought there, the Hammerschmidt, which I oh. think does tie into these trail bikes, because again, it shows that brands were trying to figure out how to make these kind of bikes that were targeted at having fun yes. going downhill how they could get uphill as easily as possible mm. and hammerschmidt you know i know it was only around for a few years but that was definitely along those lines wasn't it well yeah and, that, and i i suppose for them that was like the almost like the precursor to really push them on to begin the proper one by 11 yeah. journey which i think was what year was that 2000 i want to say 2011 yeah i think it was Maybe 11 when they went SRAM brought out the one by stuff, wasn't it? But then, you know, back to your point on the old chain guide, chain guide stuff, that was when chain guides were not necessarily needed as yeah. much. Yeah, it was the, the the end of them, really. But it was still, you know, ISCG tabs that you mount the chain guide to. Like, that that was a thing that kind of decided whether a, a yes. bike was cool or not, wasn't mm. it? Like yeah, it could or be like Burley. Yeah, it was a, tough enough. A short mm. travel bike, but has it got ISCG? Okay, it's got ISCG. That means, like, it's going to be okay. I mean, that's still almost the case now. Like, yeah, you still, you know, if, I see, if you see a trail bike of the year bike with an ISCG 05 mount, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is maybe intended for something a little <laughs> bit more, um, a little bit more spicy. John, do you reckon a lot of those bikes back then, though, were so they might have been built tougher they might have had tougher forks and a one by system in place but do you reckon the geometry still sort of held them back just because i know I've, later on in like around 2017 ish marin were doing something slightly different yeah so i think it, to answer your first question i think in hindsight the geometry was holding them back but you know a, a lot of it you know i if I was on a modern geometry bike riding with Tracy on her remedy from from that, you know, I still wouldn't be able to keep up with her. So you know, a lot of it still comes down to the rider, doesn't it? But yeah. but yeah, so so what? So we, um, you know, we went through a lot of changes in the 2010s, I guess yeah. uh, that decade, whatever it's called, and then you know, we we were trying to sort of find our way and come back. So so a bike that we we bought out in around about 2017 was the the Hawk Hill, which is now called the Rift Zone. But what we were trying to do with that bike was kind of create 
a mountain bike that could help someone get into the sport or you know be ride well at a, a certain price point yeah and so so you know we it didn't come through a bolt through rear axle but it was upgradable to a bolt through rear axle yeah i don't think it had dropper post routing but it might have had cable tabs along the top so you could you know externally route it um, but then it was low, it had low standover, it had pretty slack head angle for the time, I want to say about 66, 67 yeah. degrees. Um, but the, the whole idea was that it was a bike that, you know, it was an affordable price point. But then as you grew with the sport, you could then upgrade. Mm. Um, and that that was really the, the first kind of tr- trail bike that we did. Um, and I think it came out at like 1,200 quid or something, or 1,250, but... Yeah, I, I obviously I'm very biased in this, but I feel like we were one of the first brands to really go down that route and do something mass produced at that sort of price point. Yeah, um, mm. and and it you know by you guys by your you journalists it was really well received. Yes, um, and now you know you now you look and there's loads of bikes at that price point, which is fantastic. Yes, but I, I would like to think we were one of the first, if not the first. That's mm. very cool. Yeah, I mean, and and we will in a in another podcast in the future be speaking about specifically around that sort of um that price pointed area just because of how things have developed but i guess if we try to wrap things up a little bit now um things have come a long way but obviously tom wouldn't you say that we saw sort of glimmers of what trail bikes could be actually quite a long time ago yeah i think so yeah you you know we said we said it a lot that you know trail bike is that you know they're so versatile and and the genre of a trail bike is is ridiculously broad but Mm. The, the key elements being, you know, they're bikes that you can easily ride up to the hill without feeling like you're, you're dragging the anchor along and getting to the top absolutely knackered and you're like, oh, I can't be asked going down the hill now. But also ones that when you do get to the top of the hill, you can ride down without feeling like you're ridiculously compromised. Yeah. And John, what do you reckon in terms of the future for what we sort of term a trail bike, where do you think it's heading? Well, I, I'm not sure because I think, you know, the trail bike is very much the people's bike, isn't it? It's been driven by the market. Yeah. Um, and that's where we've got to now. So, you know, is is it gonna is it gonna be have some sort of motor on it? Is it gonna have some sort of internal gear system? I, I, I I'm I'm not sure. Um, but I think it's definitely one of the most exciting categories because it is being driven by the market demands and where people are actually riding. So it's probably gonna be where we're gonna see some of the most exciting advancements, I'd say. Amazing. Great stuff. Right. Well, thank you very much, John and Tom. Um, We will be back for another MBUK podcast very soon. Thank you. Thank you.